Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. How are you doing? How art thou? How art thou? What's up? How art thou, sister? If you know what Sarah is quoting, you know that we're going to be talking about Hocus Pocus today, which is fantastic. You're listening to You Are Good, which is a feelings podcast about movies. And today we're joined by Mara Wilson. Which means we have a coven of three witches, just like in the film. (laughs) Sarah, what... Is your what is your experience with this movie? How has this movie played into your life? I am a basic millennial, Alex. So I grew up watching this movie on the Disney Channel, a Capri Sun clenched in my sweaty fist, my Furby (laughs) under my arm in a pile of beanie babies. (laughs) Did you like this movie? Correctly or not, I recall this is a movie that Disney Channel played at Halloween in the 90s, but really like whenever, because I don't think they thought very highly of it. Mm. And like they never played Newsies on TV, but they did play this a lot. I for years believed this was a Disney Channel original movie. I didn't realize it was a theatrical (laughs) movie until a few years ago. That many people watch. Just because it was so ubiquitous on TV where they would also have the like, it's the Parent Trap spinoff twins movies or whatever. Or like, it's Growing Pains reruns again. Like they were not, this was not prime real estate at the time, I don't think. So it was on TV a lot and I always really liked it and it was just like a fun, campy, crispy New Englandy um, escape from my daily boring life. And to me, the great joy of it was watching Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy McJimmy just go ham as the three witches. First, before we get into the plot, because we didn't mm-hmm. get into the plot in this episode, who made it? Like, what's what's going on? It's directed by Kenny Ortega in his post-Newsies, pre-high school musical wilderness. <laughs> I mean, it is fairly plotty. It's about a kid who moves to Salem and raises from the dead three witches who want to eat children and spend the night <laughs> rampaging through the town. And he and his fellow kids have to put a stop to them. It's like a movie about mayhem, which I feel like one of our <laughs> subgenres here is movies that we loved as kids because they're about mayhem. <laughs> it's mayhem heavy. So, okay. So t- tell us what happens in this movie. So Max, who has just moved to Salem from California, takes his little sister trick-or-treating. In this world, the story of the Salem Witch Trials has been completely replaced by the story of the Sanderson sisters who ate children and were hanged. The story of their deaths is being told as like a Halloween afternoon class taught by the nun from the Blues Brothers. (laughs) Kenny Ortega also loves to have a theatrical and expository teacher like the drama teacher in High School Musical who's played by Cassie from A Chorus Line. (laughs) Max takes his little sister trick-or-treating He's like 14 or 15, so he's at the age where he has to prove that he's not afraid of like little kid scary stuff. And so he hooks up with this girl he really likes, Allison, and they go to the old Sanderson Sisters Museum and he lights the black candle and he's a virgin lighting the candle on a new moon Halloween night. And so the Sanderson Sisters come back to life. And then there is like a bunch of plotty stuff like they meet this 300-year-old cat who's the undead spirit of a boy whose little sister, she, the Sanderson sisters, sucked the soul out of in a truly scary scene yeah. 300 years ago. And this live-action Disney movie, we see a little girl's corpse. Yeah. And once again, I feel like <laughs> they just gave Kenny Ortega a relatively small budget and left him the hell alone. He was like, hey, I, can I put a little girl's corpse in this movie? 
And they were like, we're not paying attention. It's set in New England. Why would you not? <laughs> Welcome to New England, where child life is cheap. And then they become friends with a zombie. Yes, of course. Yeah, a zombie, an undead cat who helped them. But then a lot of it is the witches just running around town. Their broomsticks get stolen by little kids in costumes at one point. The town's adults who are all at a dance party into dancing until they drop dead. <laughs> and a lot of it is just witches running around town. Yeah, but it stands out because, again, like I was like a young, a youngish boy when this came out. And I think I saw it early on. They talk about this boy's virginity so much. <laughs> In a way that I feel like even if you weren't already anxious about virginity in your childhood, mm -hmm. you would be after watching this movie. But then it's like you also have the power to summon witches. So like that's kind of cool. But the last line, the last line in the movie is Max telling his sister as he's been waiting to be reunited with his sister for 300 years. It's all he wants. He's just burning for it. all he wants to be reunited with his sister. And he says, I'm sorry, I had to wait 300 years years for a virgin to light a candle it's the last punchline in this movie like his name is max <laughs> <laughs> the other big thing about and we, we what we do talk about is how like weirdly sexually aggressive movies were for children at this time but like mm -hmm. this movie is is very heavy with a horny witch who wants to have sex with young boys or anybody, really. Middle-aged guys, Gary Marshall. Yeah, any guy. She just happens to be in the proximity of young boys a lot. Right. When they're dancing. With Master. <laughs> it's, so, it's so great. And I can't believe I'm saying this again, but like this feels like another direct response to the Satanic Panic movie because it's about witches who want to literally eat children. Yes. For dinner. <laughs> I love it. Every time I watch this movie, I come to like it more. Me too. Yeah. And I feel like just having faith in kids to enjoy the same kind of comedy that you are enjoying, like that feels like that's happening in the creation of this story. It really does. Even if it makes you self-conscious of your yabos. <laughs> I'm thankful they cut that from the TV version. Yabos. Like yabos. <laughs> yabos. Come on. That's a Star Wars character, if anything. <laughs> Admiral Yabo, he lives on Endor. I will say when Allison is confronted with being told by a little girl that the boy in her class who gave her his phone number on a big piece of paper is into her Yabos, she handles it like a champ. Better than I would. Absolutely. I would have melted and been dead immediately. <laughs> I would have left that plane of existence and become a ghost and haunted the house forever. Oh my God. Um, anything that people should look out for listen for in this episode if you haven't seen this movie before go watch it right now enjoy the contractually obligated musical number <laughs> and put something in your contract that says you won't be in a movie without doing a song because i think that's everyone who wants that should have that learn a thing or two from uh, ms midler the divine the one thing i do want to say is that we you bring up this question to mara in this episode about what's the difference between spooky scary and creepy mm -hmm. we talk about that in a bonus episode on a patreon bonus episode uh we go very deep into that question so if anyone mm -hmm. wants to hear more of that conversation find that bonus episode on patreon yeah, that's a fun one. And we talk about some of our favorite horror movies, too. Yes, definitely. Do you remember any of the ones that we talked about? Yeah, we recommended some underloved, not quite iconic horror movies. So we talked about The Changeling, The Others, Lake Mungo, 
curtains curtains oh yeah get ready and then there's like five version-ish more and a very long conversation about the difference between creepy spooky and scary yeah uh, all right well shall we come on come on come on come on <laughs> You Are Good is made possible with your support. Thank you so much to our supporters on Patreon, patreon.com slash you are good. Over there, there are bonus episodes. You just heard us talk about one of the bonus episodes in which we discuss the difference between spooky, scary, and creepy. We do that a bit in this episode as well. And check it out. And the conversation's lovely. It's a warm conversation between a couple of friends, which I love so much about these bonus episodes. Okay, there's that. You Are Good is also made possible with generous support from Knack Factory, KN. NACK Factory, uh, which is a commercial and creative video content production company based in Portland, Maine, with an office in Nashville, Tennessee as well, though they do work there at these here United States. If you need video produced, if you need this sort of work made, get in touch with the fine folks at Knack Factory. There's also a playlist inspired by this episode, inspired by our conversation about this movie, inspired by this movie, available in the show notes. So please look for that. Give us your feedback. Let us know what you think of the songs that we suggested. It's always great to hear from you. We refer at some point to the faceless old woman, and we will eventually reveal that we're talking about a character from Welcome to Night Vale, though we don't do it super clearly. The faceless old woman is a character that Mara plays in the great, great podcast, Welcome to Night Vale. Just in case it comes up and you're like, who is this faceless old woman? If you know, you know. But if you don't, now you know. And then finally, I, in this episode, I refer to some research I'm doing on the Bell Witch. I have another podcast called Nashville Demystified, which I'm kicking back up because I'm back in Nashville, Tennessee. And I did a bunch of research on this uh, folk story about a witch. I think you will probably enjoy it whether or not you have ties to Tennessee. And it's going to be out later this week. It's going to be out around Friday. So check out Nashville Demystified for our re-relaunch. <laughs> And for the story of the Bell Witch, we talk about what our belief in ghost stories uh, says about us. And you'll hear a lot of themes there that you do in this episode. This conversation really inspired that episode about the Bell Witch. All right, let's do it. Let's get witchy. Whoa. Hello. Hello, Alex Steed. What's on our agenda, Sarah? We're talking about the Sanderson sisters. We're talking about Hocus Pocus with our friend Mara Wilson. Hello, Mara. Hello. I'm very excited about this because I have many connections to this movie. Do you really? I felt like it made sense. Personal and professional, yes. I have like a strange and complicated history with this movie, I would say. Oh, wow. Are you a teenage virgin boy who gets reminded of it all the time? Is that part of your connection? No, that's you, Alex. <laughs> Honestly, I, I relate to Max very, very much. Hell yeah. I was a virgin who couldn't drive, actually. Like our friend Cher Horowitz. Yes, Max is a virgin who can drive. Yes, yes, of. that's right. <laughs> and he mountain bikes like a motherfucker. And he does. He sure does. Yeah. But yeah, so I saw this movie, if you don't mind me going ahead and getting into it. This is great. This is why you're here. I am a wimp. I really am. I'm really bad with horror movies and scary things. And uh, 
I saw this movie when I was six and I was terrified. Hmm. I was invited to these cool girls sleepover. They were twins. It was their birthday. They they were very beautiful and very cool. And like sometimes one of them would like me and the other wouldn't and, and things like that, just all through hmm. elementary school. But like all of the girls were invited pretty much to sleepover. And so I went there and I watched Hocus Pocus and the idea of like sucking young children's souls really scared me. Yeah. It was strange to me on a couple of levels though, because I knew Bette Midler already. Like I didn't know her as a person. <laughs> I didn't know her as a person. I've actually never met her, but I had already met people who worked with her. Hmm. And my mom introduced me to like, we watched the the gypsy that Bette Midler is in and hmm. loved it. And so I knew who Bette Midler was and I wasn't really like, I, I didn't find her that scary, but for some reason, the idea of sucking children's souls <laughs> really, really scared me. And I was never afraid of witches Really? So I'm not sure what scared me about this. And the reason I think I wasn't afraid of witches is because I'm Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> and pretty much all like Western witches are coded as Jewish. Right. If you look at the actresses who are cast as witches in, in this movie, two of them are Jewish. One of them is Middle Eastern American. Mm. Kind of says something, you know, as much as I love this movie. And at least two of them are like Broadway legends. Yes. Um, I don't know about <laughs> Kathy and Jimmy, but like she was in Sister Act. So Kathy and Jimmy is a voiceover legend. Well, there you go. The joy of these three performances is incredible to me. This movie was also the way that I learned the word virgin. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did because they say it so many times. They're yeah. like a thing that kids are concerned with is virginity. They're like kids are growing up that haven't seen Monster Squad. Let's make a new one. <laughs> and I remember what they said is it, and some girls were giggling and they said and I was like, "Well, what does that mean?" And they said, "It's someone who hasn't done it yet." Mm. And you'll notice a difference because when you get older, it becomes done it with the emphasis on the done. But this, it was done it yet. That's so true. For the target audience of this movie, which yes. I imagine was like no bigger than 10 years old. Yeah. They are so concerned with this lead character's virginity mm -hmm. to the point where like a grown man makes fun of him for being a for kind of like, like pokes at him for being a virgin, that fake cop. Yeah. And he's like 14. Like <laughs> most 14 year olds are virgins. Right. What is Disney saying? <laughs> Not all 14 year olds are walking around grabbing yabos and yeah. having a weird time. <laughs> That's also a moment that watching this now, I'm like, I grew up watching this like four times a year on the Disney Channel, and I'm pretty sure they cut that part. They must have. Yeah. In the 80s and 90s, I feel like there were a lot of things where like siblings commented on each other's sex lives and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In a way that was really weird. I didn't want to know about what my brothers were up to. That was disgusting. Right. It's just, I mean, I didn't have brothers, but if I did, I feel like I would have wanted to preserve some mystery. I'm thinking of Big, too, and like this kind of like 80s, 90s movie convention of like, yeah. we must show the teen and tween boys lusting after girls. It's important. We must show it. If we don't show it, then what will happen? Then we will have a movie without it. And that would be terrible. <laughs> Some of them capture like the weird pressure that kids put each yeah. other in. But I think I think back then it was kind of seen as normal, whereas like. There's an episode of Rami where it talks that talks about him on um, his reaction to 9-11 hmm. as, you know, an Egyptian-American kid. And at the same time, he's trying to figure out how people masturbate. <laughs> he doesn't know how. <laughs> and, and his friends are all talking about how they've done it. And he hmm. and he doesn't know how. And they the kids put like weird pressure on him being like, you have to you have to jack off. You have to. Hmm. And it's so gross and uncomfortable. But I feel like that episode captures 
how gross and uncomfortable that is as opposed to 80s and 90s stuff where it was like, yeah, of course, kids mm. pressure each other into this stuff. And of course, there's a weird social aspect of it. And of course, it's it's just kind of normal. I think now we're like, uh, no, it doesn't have to be like that. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced that my first experience with a boy was directly inspired by Batman Returns because when we were like seven, mm. my friend just licked me just straight up across my face. And I'm pretty sure you watched <laughs> Batman Returns and was like, that's what they do. So that's how it goes. I think that I stopped being scared of this movie when the, a year or so later I started working on Matilda. And a lot of people who had worked on Hocus Pocus were working on Matilda. Mm. Hmm. I don't know what it was. I think like the Marshalls might have had something peripherally to do with Matilda. Hmm. Like Gary Marshall's in this movie. So is Penny Marshall. Uh, you know, they're, they're TV and film legends. And we had, I think like one of their nieces <laughs> working as like our driver for a while. <laughs> and I remember one time it was a very, it was very early in the morning. And I was like, man, I wanted to stay in my pajamas this morning. I, I didn't want to have to get dressed to come to set. And she was like, you don't have to. That Midler used to come out in, in a bathrobe, mm. sometimes in a towel. And after that, she's like, she's like, yeah, on Hocus Pocus, she'd come up and like, you know, with one towel around her body, one towel around her head. She'd change when she got to set. She's the divine Miss M. She doesn't need to do anything. <laughs> that sounds great. As long as it's not too cold. How would that Midler just like carry herself on the set of Hocus Pocus? Like yeah. she like on some part of her dress just be like, this is crazy that I'm even doing this. Yeah. And I'm going to commit real hard, but I'm also going to be real Bette Midler about it. <laughs> I worked with Kathy and Jimmy after that on the Academy Awards. Sarah Jessica Parker was also at that Academy Awards and we saw her too. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And my mom really liked her as an actress. I think she just wasn't used to seeing that many, you know, young Jewish Broadway actresses out there. So my mom was like really mm-hmm. excited to see her. I worked with one of them and I knew somebody who knew the other one and I saw the third one. So that, you know, that kind of killed the mystery for me. So uh, yeah, after that, I couldn't be scared anymore. You can't be scared after imagining Beth Midler in a bathrobe. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> That's really, I think that's great advice for even if you're like out camping one night. Yeah. And you hear like crunching in the leaves and you're like Pet Midler in a bathrobe. And then it just like <laughs> calms you right down. Is Matilda as scary as, I mean, and you, obviously you have such a specific view of it, but like is Matilda as scary as this movie is or is it like more whimsical? Like I have, I haven't seen it in like 20 something years. I think it's scarier. That's my yeah. sense. Some people think it's scarier. Because it has, it has real scary adults in it. Yeah. Like that to me is terrifying. Some people think it's scary, but I've never met. I don't think I've ever met anybody who like cried at it as a kid or was really, you Mm. know, it was, it's for me, it was, and I think it's because the whole idea is sort of empowering and Mm. there's kind of no question that Matilda's going to win. Whereas like, sure. Mm. Max and Danny like nearly had their souls sucked out a couple of times. Whereas with Matilda, whereas with Matilda, you know, she's going to win. This is the first, I've seen this movie a hundred times. It's the first time I realized that we see on screen the corpse of a child. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. The sister at the beginning gets her soul sucked out and her dead body is in a chair. (laughs) And then there's a hanging in like the first eight minutes. I was making my notes and I was like, this Disney movie goes hard. (laughs) Which is saying something for Disney. It does. Disney always goes hard. It didn't come out at Halloween time. That's so silly. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. They released it in the summer, which is like, and maybe they were just hopeful that it would do well and then it would, it would keep going. Yeah. It seems unfair to do that to a movie. I kind of have a feeling that like Bette Midler probably would have played the Trunchbull if Pam Ferris hadn't. Hmm. 
you know, they, they knew Bette Midler. They'd worked with Bette Midler. You know, Danny DeVito was good friends with her. I think in the original version of Matilda, like the original script, there was a scene where the Trunchbull was singing to herself. Mm. Everything's coming up roses from Gypsy, except it was <laughs> instead of you'll be swell, you'll be great. It's I am swell. I am great. That's <laughs> I have the whole world on a plate. And I know that for a while, I think Bette Midler was contractually obliged to do a song in every movie. Or at least that was the rumor. Huh. That's why she does a song in this movie. Like on her side of the contract? Yeah. That's what I would do. That's exactly. Great. She was like, I miss singing. I miss being on Broadway. I want to sing. Yeah. That's so great. Oh my God. I love that. And I do love the music act in this movie, even though I know it makes, it has nothing really to do with the rest of it. Oh, but it's, it's so great. Oh, but it's so it's good. So good. It's, it's so good. The only thing I think it was missing is that the band is not played by the Mighty Mighty Bostones. Yeah. That would have been fun. It's a little early in their career. Or, or Oingo Boingo. No, that would be perfect. Yes. Oh, my God. Also, there are no actors from Newsies in this movie, which is yeah. not a requirement. <laughs> but Alex, did you know that Kenny Ortega directed Newsies and then this and then High School Musical? Of course I do. Of course I do. Oh, yeah. Did I know? And The Descendants later, which is as cool i think in a lot of ways the fight choreography in this movie is really good yes like some of the more awkward scenes in the movie are like scenes at the beginning where like max and danny are just kind of talking and there's like some weird spaces in between and Mm. there's like some weird stuff with allison but when there's like any kind of movement happening there's a fight happening there's a chase sequence happening there's anything like that like anything that moves Mm. kenny ortega Mm. is on it he's the best that's such a good point what i did like that was perfect to real life we have this kid fr- who moves from L.A. He's from L.A. originally, right? Yeah, yeah. They, from Hollywood, Hollywood. He moves from L.A. to like right outside of Boston and everyone hates him immediately. <laughs> <laughs> As it would happen in New England. <laughs> I love the whole scene where he talks shit in the class about the legend of those Anderson sisters. He gets up. He has written his telephone number on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper on the smallest piece of the paper and then gives it to her in front of class. Uh, she has the opportunity to give his number back to him. <laughs> My friend watched it and she said, I remember when I thought boys would actually do that. Yeah. It's a whole piece of paper. Yeah. Would have been handy. I thought a whole class would applaud when I defined Halloween. Exactly. (laughs) I had this sort of like Martin Prince, you know, Millhouse kind of thing where I was like, when they see you're smart, they'll be bound to respect you. No. (laughs) My loot. Yeah. My geode must be acknowledged. <laughs> I love how much this movie loves her and loves her intelligence. Yeah. That's really excellent. Okay, I want a sequel where Allison, I've heard they're doing a sequel, but I want Allison to actually become a white witch. They call her a white witch at some point. Ooh. And I'm like, that is awesome. Become a white witch, Allison. Do the good things. <laughs> because she uses salt. Yes, because she uses salt. <laughs> she looks, I think, so much older than Max, but they actually were yeah. about the same age. Allison has what I would call older cousin energy in this. Yes. She does. And she's so sweet to Danny, too. Yes. He's so, yeah. That's how you can tell she's great from the beginning. I mean, bisexual culture is having had both a crush on Max and on Allison. <laughs> but the thing that I always noticed every time I watch this movie is he's like, hey, you want to light the candle? And she says, no, thanks. And I'm always like, Allison's not a virgin. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Allison has had sex. Allison went to camp. Allison went to camp and Allison probably had sex and and probably told the person that she had sex with, you know, you weren't very good at this. You need to practice more. Like Allison seems like (laughs) that kind of confident teenage girl. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
I still want to be as cool as Allison. That's my goal. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> Allison is fantastic. I noticed that for like, as you said, Sarah, that she's so sweet to Danny in the movie is this, this was such a small aside, but when at the e- kind of at the end, they're running towards the car and Allison's like gesturing to get into the car. She like embraces Danny as yeah. she comes into her mm-hmm. and like guides her into the car. And it's such a sweet, like little thing, but I really noticed it this time in a way where I'm clearly now a middle-aged parent age of things, you know? <laughs> I know. She's like one of the babysitters club girls, like a couple years later in high school. She likes kids. She's very friendly. She doesn't put up with any crap from, you know, teenage boys who disrespect her. If they do respect her and they do respect her intelligence, which, Ma- which Max comes to, I think. Well, and speaking of the Babysitter's Club, I feel like this was a movie that I grew up watching a ton on the Disney Channel because it didn't do that great financially when it came out. And so I feel like they just put it on TV whenever. <laughs> and it was always really appealing to me for a lot of reasons. And one is that it's a great story in the subgenre of like kids movies where the adults are fucking useless and you have to just <laughs> figure it out yourself. Yeah. <laughs> the scene where Danny goes to visit the uh, where they go to the town hall thing and she sees her mom dressed up as Madonna. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you have parents who are like sexually interested and like involved with each other, there's going to be like a weird moment in your life, in your childhood, where you realize that <laughs> or you re- or you realize just that your parents have a life outside of you. And it's really weird. Oh, yeah, totally. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of classic kids movies are about learning as you grow up that adults aren't always going to be able to help you. Sarah, this is the thing we talk about all the time with regard to like mm-hmm. horror, but they're wronged by every adult they encounter in this movie. Like yeah. no adult. They're they're being chased down by hundreds of years old adults who are trying to suck their souls out. And then every adult they encounter. No, they don't run into the, the questionable bus driver, but he's a very questionable adult. Every adult they run into is horrendous. But yeah, all the ones we see are questionable. Gary Marshall, for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely my favorite. Favorite Gary Marshall cameo. Okay. Hmm. All adults, I would say, first of all, the teacher, I'm surprised they didn't ask the teacher for help because she probably would have been able to help them. Yeah. But the one character that does help them the most, the adult that helps them the most is Billy. Yes. Billy's great. Yeah. The zombie. Yeah. I love Billy. Billy may be my favorite character in this movie. Mm-hmm. And Thackeray Banks is like an undead preteen, but he is also hundreds of years yeah. old. As we watched it, my friends were like, it's kind of weird that she's cuddling with uh, a, a boy who's, you know, 300 years old. I mean, but I was like, he's been a cat for a while. <laughs> when I was a little girl, all I really wanted was a cute cat that was possessed by the spirit of a dead tween. Of course. <laughs> In between this and Sabrina, it was like a thing a lot of people aspired to a lot of the time. Yeah, it would be amazing. An immortal cat. My God. (laughs) But imagine just like the appeal as a tween girl, a boyfriend who can sleep on your pillow. Yeah. Are you a horse girl or are you a a talking cat girl? (laughs) I was a talking cat girl for sure. Talking Puritan boy cat girl. Yeah. Again, this is another thing that I realize as an as an old person watching this movie is when he turns into the cat and his dad kicks him away and says, be gone with you, beast. Ah. I was like, no, I know it's awful. Puritans are so stupid. Yeah, that made me so sad that I I still get a little emotional at the end of this movie when Danny first notices when when he when he first dies and Danny is so sad and she misses Banks so much. Yeah. Yeah. You never see Max and Allison kiss. They almost do, but they're interrupted. 
but but at the end of the movie it's about it's about max and danny Mm -hmm. it's about the brother and sister yeah which is really lovely and you can feel sophisticated and like it's a love story but really it's about family one of my friends said that max in this movie reminds him of max goof from a goofy movie Yes, definitely. Totally. Oh, my God. Like he wants to be a rap singer. A rap singer. That's my favorite. There's a common denominator between the Goofy movie and this, which is the voice yes. of Max and the voice of the cat are the same voice, right? It's Jason. What? Yeah. The voice of the voice of Thackeray Banks is the voice of Max. Yeah. Now I'm thinking of like Thackeray Banks singing, which he did not do in this movie. I don't think he does his own singing in it, though. Oh, OK. Jason Marsden, who lives in Nashville, Tennessee. Tennessee, like I do. Maybe I'll see him at the Kroger. Okay. Very talented person. Oh, really? Did he do his singing for it? A lot of times, a lot of the actors there in that age, they wouldn't do their own singing. I'm not sure. I do, 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 do want to talk about how horny Sarah Jessica Parker is in this movie. Like, I think we talk about the version thing nonstop. And I think it's interesting because like Bette Midler's character is hungry for power. What is the name of the the other actress? Kathy Najimy. She's hungry generally. Like she's always hungry for children, sniffs the children out. And Sarah Jessica Parker is just hungry for sex, often with like preteen boys. (laughs) Half of her lines are like, boys, boys, boys. <laughs> she sits on the bus driver's lap like. Yeah, that's that scene is incredible in a way that I did not notice uh, as or maybe I blocked it out of my memory when I was a child. But that alone would have gotten her executed back in the day. You know, <laughs> that would have. was yeah. just like a fun slut. <laughs> Yeah, she's the fun slut witch. That's what she is. <laughs> he talks about like impregnating them all or something. Like Bette Midler says something like, we want children or something. And he's like, ah, oh, well, you know, might take a lot out of me or, or something. <laughs> he says it might take a couple of tries, but I'll get like something, something like this. Yeah. Like this. yeah. Which like, either Whoa. suggests, yeah, totally. Which either suggests he's going to impregnate them or he's going to find for them children. And both reads are horrendous. Oh, yeah. he's going to impregnate. <laughs> this is a very horny kids movie. I feel like this, that might have affected how it did theatrically i don't know though because i mean the adams family is a very horny kids movie and those did pretty well too it's so horny it's a very good point i feel like the great thing about hocus pocus it's focal point scene and i feel like we've been using this word so many times for our halloween movies that we need to define it but again like the the core of it is camp yes and is watching these three actresses living it up i was thinking like so much of the joy for me in this movie is in the little reads of just these little moments like Sarah Jessica Parker being thrown onto the like they find the road they're like tis a black river and they throw (laughs) the horny witch Sarah onto it and she goes tis firm (laughs) it's just like moment after moment that just makes me so happy it's kind of inconsistent though because she doesn't know what a road is yeah. But she knows the word dude. <laughs> the last half of the movie, they really give up on the logic of their th- 300. They're like, ah, whatever. We got to wrap it up. She's learned quickly. Yes. She's very smart. How do you know this Screaming Jay Hawkins song? Yeah. What's happening? <laughs> She's a witch, okay? In only the ways that we need her to be. <laughs> they are having so much fun and you can tell. And every scene that she's in, she's she's so campy. And like sometimes she has eyebrows and sometimes she doesn't. And <laughs> and she also says to him, like, it's just a bunch of hocus pocus, which he said before he lit the candle, which also makes you wonder, how did she know that he said that? He's just been haunting that museum for 300 years, but not paying attention to technology. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But Billy is um, Billy Butcherson. The thing about him is he hates Winnie for what she did to him. 
And when he awakes, and one of my favorite things is the way he just like waves his hand at her. It's just such a classic Doug Jones. He's one of the few, I'm so scared of so, so many Doug Jones characters, but Hmm. Billy was one that I always loved. What are some other of his, his characters? Uh, Mac tonight. I find terrifying. He was both, I think the fawn and the, the guy with the hands in Pan's Labyrinth. Oh Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. He's the Baron and what we do on um, what we do with the shadows. Oh my God. He's wait. You just said he's Mac tonight. Yes. I hate Mac tonight. Oh, I hate oh, that yeah, guy. He's sure. creepy as hell. Who's Mac tonight. He's the moon headed guy from the McDonald's commercials. God, I miss those. Sarah, you'll see it and you'll realize that you buried it in your subconscious somewhere. You'll be like, Oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> oh no. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's so creepy. My friend knows him and she says that he's the nicest guy and he's like, he like gives good hugs and he just gets all his weirdness out through his characters. That's nice. He's a very sweet, normal guy. But Billy, I love because Billy just gets there and he's just not there for Winifred's shit. And it's also great because one of the things that's interesting for the time, I think, is that she catches him gallivanting with her sister. And instead of being incredibly pissed off with her sister she's pissed off with the guy yeah mm-hmm. in every like case of like heterosexual cheating you would see in a movie they would be like you know you slut or something like that as opposed to being like mm-hmm. what the hell dude you're why would you do this to me that, that's fucked up sure i don't know i'm not gonna say it's refreshing but it is different for the time most definitely she's also like that's what my sister does like she's like my sister's horny forever you could have said no billy <laughs> <laughs> I, I always love Sarah Jessica Parker's, um, uh, hi, Billy. <laughs> Billy, like, does a little smile. It's a lot of stuff that, like, kids aren't normally expected to enjoy, but, like, are offered here, which I think was one of the reasons I liked it early on. There are very funny, weird, almost throwaway jokes that land very, very well in retrospect. Like, I really love Billy going, go to hell, and her going, oh, thanks, I've been many times. Yes. I like when they all, when they all, uh, they talk about like whatever the recipes are they're talking about. The one was like mummy scorpion or something like that. And then they all go, yeah, mother. Yeah. (laughs) They're just like, what is their tie to their mother? It's so great. And then there's another one where the guy behind the fish restaurant goes out back and he says, he says to the lobsters, like, who's going in for the jacuzzi? And then he looks at the lobster and he goes, oh, Angelo, too bad. that for it's so good for the weird little kids like you yeah it was kenny ortega always i mean he didn't write the script but i feel like he always throws something in for the campy kids yeah yeah totally he always does i mean he's like a 70 year old campy kid yeah so this movie taught me about you know what it was to be a virgin but another thing i think it taught me about was uh, new england Mm, that part of the world was a mystery to me it's very mysterious totally but new england made no sense to me alex what is new england how does it work new england is just a place that i feel like perpetually has baggage from 400 years ago (laughs) it's really constantly talking about it in one way or another because in my head, New England is like, you know, it's like New Hampshire, Vermont. And this is northern New England, but like New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine. Yeah. And then Boston is like New England as seen through the upside down. Mm. It's just like this extreme, weird, other kind of version of New England with high intensity. This was the first time I watched this movie and like really felt the New England in it. And I can't mm. believe that that's not a thing I paid a whole lot of attention to before. But like this does do a good job of striking 
talking sort of like how reverent this time of year is in New England. And then everyone's talking about the Sanderson sisters nonstop. And it's like, calm down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or about their local, about their weird local mythology. And that's the on the nose piece. Yeah. This crazy thing happened hundreds of years ago and we're still wild about it that's a great clickbait title yeah <laughs> it's a lot like the Blair Witch Project actually I was watching the Blair Witch Project the other day because that is truly one of my favorite Halloween movies because it's so Halloweeny, and mm-hmm. I think it's still scary and like the opening with just like going to the lovely historic Maryland town and having the fake townspeople tell Blair Witch stories it's very spooky and shivery and just like puts you in the right atmosphere immediately Hmm. It is so interesting. America is so big and the different kinds of horror that you find all over the place are so fascinating. Right. I went to Savannah, Georgia, and the ghost tours there are different. And like the Spanish moss is beautiful during the day, but then it's terrifying at night. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and the horror is usually an exoneration. Oh, that yeah. to me is the interesting thing is like I'm doing research on the the Bell Witch, which is a Tennessee legend. And the witch is the focus. But it's like it's all an excuse to talk about how great the like young, pious Christians are. Like, I mean, I understand like that's like what witch hunts are in one way or another. But like at the end of the day, like it's like the witch haunted the slaves. And it's like, hey, let's talk about the slaves for a second. <laughs> like that's the horror yeah (laughs) and it's like no no witches no time only witches i find it so fascinating and very telling that the archetypal horror fiction or origin site for i'm thinking of like the shining and pet cemetery and poltergeist is the indigenous burial ground and it's like well yeah that really like lifts focus from the fact that that's what this entire country is Mm mm-hmm but it's like, it, isn't it scary if there was this one little place geographically, this one little bit that was the scary thing? And it's like, well, if you drive through my hometown, or you take the freeway through my hometown, you'll see one of the bells from, you know, El Camino Real, which was Father mm-hmm. Munipero Serra coming here from from Spain and, you know, trying to convert all the indigenous people to Catholicism in a very scary mm-hmm. and brutal way. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. still there. That's a part of our history. And so much horror feels like it's kind of like paying for our sins. And I remember my mm-hmm. my college boyfriend was uh, very into film criticism and filmmaking. And there were so many articles about how Saw and Hostel and like those Teresa movies and stuff like that was it was America's penance for doing torture overseas during the Iraq mm. war and in Guantanamo mm-hmm. and things like that. And my boyfriend pointed out, he was like, well, you know, think of when all the biggest zombie movies were mm. late sixties, early seventies, Vietnam. Mm. And think of how there's been this zombie resurgence since, you know, the, the Iraq war started. Mm. And some of it, I'm like, okay, that might be a bit of a reach, but I do feel like probably there's maybe something to that. Oh, yeah. Or something like vampires. Like, it's funny to me. Like, vampires, I think, never go out of style. They're like a Burberry trench coat. But they're (laughs) also like peak vampire times. So it's like, why did we have such vampire saturation in like 2009? Yeah. I don't know, but it's interesting. Like, usually stories about witches and people like chasing down witches and hunting witches is a story about the hunt maybe being bad. Yeah. And in this movie, it's like, no. <laughs> like, witches are actually evil. We got to kill them. As a student of history, I, I do feel a little bit bad for enjoying this movie as much as I do, because it's so funny to replace the whole history of Salem with like yeah. these three hilarious bitches who totally did it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird takeaway for a kid movie. <laughs> 
Yeah, but you're like, Bette Midler's having fun, and that's what I want. I, I wonder if this is one of Bette Midler's favorite parts. I wouldn't be surprised if it were. I hope so. And do you think it's a part like she would have gotten and she would be like, I don't know, and then like got into it and made it awesome? Or do you think she knew it was awesome the entire time? That I don't know. For example, there were some actors who were cast in Harry Potter who were just like, a lot of the more established actors who were just like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I know Richard Harris didn't want to do it, but his granddaughter said, I'll never speak to you again. Uh, and then he died to get out of finishing it. <laughs> <laughs> There's some others in it. Like I know Jason Isaacs once said, he's like, it's so much fun to be a wizard. It's so much fun to dress up like a wizard and have a, have a staff and just be an evil wizard. He's like, I love it so much. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's just sort of like some people are more attracted to camp than others. Like I, mm. I've played a villain before and it is my favorite thing. What were you a villain in? Well, I'm an actual Disney villain. There was Big Hero 6, the series. Oh, yeah. She's kind of an Elizabeth Holmes-esque character. Oh, oh great. So great. Yeah. And she's a tall, hot, blonde billionaire genius. <laughs> and I was like, that's great because I'm never going to play that on screen. That's wonderful. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. It's Howard Ashman's old work, you know? I mean, he can't... <laughs> yes! Yeah. <laughs> it is an honor. And being a villain is really fun. I mean, on Night Vale, I'm not quite a villain, but I am very spooky. Mm-hmm. You are very spooky. Actually, can you answer a question I've been asking lately? Sure. Which is, what is the difference between spooky, scary, and creepy? Spooky is atmospheric. Mm. Scary is, I think, like, I think of scary and I think of somebody jumping out at you. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think spooky is the atmosphere around you. Scary is in your actual area. Like it's a, it's a more active thing. Mm-hmm. Spooky is hearing somebody whispering <laughs> from far away. Scary is somebody jumping out and scaring you. Creepy is a hand on your shoulder. Mm. Creepy gets into personal space or, or it gives you a physical creepy feeling. Sometimes I think that scary can be worse than creepy and sometimes I think that creepy can be worse than scary yeah yeah I think that that's those two like creepy and scary are a place where things get muddier than the like clear divide between spooky and scary but like creepy and scary there's like a lot of weird co-mingling because spooky is a pretty pleasant feeling I feel like Mm. I feel the faceless old woman is spooky and creepy I don't know if she's scary really yeah I was gonna say I, I don't feel like she's not scary but she might be creepy occasionally yeah but also it seems like the pact everyone has is that like she's not going to put her hand on your shoulder all the time no she she might but like probably only when you're sleeping and she might do something spooky but it's probably when you're not looking right there's an equilibrium right it feels like everything kind of stays in balance in night veil yeah people would always be like oh does she watch people having sex and i was like i don't really think that's her thing no yeah we were like i remember us talking about that and and meg being like i feel like she like if she if there's anything kinky it'll be like somebody sorting out the recycling wrong <laughs> right <laughs> watching people play board games like that's fucked oh up. my god like, yeah someone who yeah. could just like <laughs> it's like do you feel someone watching us play board games right now? i mean well, my, my friend Chris Fleming says that board game couples are the most, he's like, they, they have the most menacing vibe out of any kind of couples. They do. It's harder than when somebody polyamorous is trying to flirt with you and you're not interested. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. I've been part of a board game couple. And yeah, it is intense. Oh my God. Because you know you're a board game couple, right? Don't you like walk through the world without knowledge? Oh yeah. Carolyn and I, we play Scrabble and Farkle and Yahtzee. We play these three games is what we have. These are our comfort games. And we shared a house with like 
a board game couple that had like 30 board like 30 board game like all sorts of different games that i'd never seen before like card games and yeah. like rpg all this different stuff and um i found that very intimidating <laughs> and you're always afraid they're gonna ask you to play a game with them <laughs> well my, my brother and his wife used to be a board game couple and i recently asked i was like last time i was visiting I was like, do you want to get play a board game and it was like I had said, like, do you want to do sake bombs or something? Because <laughs> they were just like, oh, it, it's just too much for us. <laughs> I think that's how I feel about puzzles. Yeah. Because, like, I can do puzzles when I'm on vacation at a cottage or something. But if I did puzzles in my daily life, like, I would just never stop doing puzzles. Yeah. yeah. I need a promise that it's going to be, like, a half hour or under. Like, right. it's not going to be, like, gigantically psychologically taxing. <laughs> I have a friend who does escape rooms whenever she can. And I'm like, I think they're fun. I think they're fun, but they're not something that I seek out. I've only been in one and they left the back door open the whole time. So it kind of ruined the illusion. <laughs> they had to as like a fire code thing. <laughs> <laughs> it really, that really takes the sex out of the situation. <laughs> this was, as you can imagine, this took place on the Oregon coast. <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> if you had to give someone just like a line or two about what this movie's about and why it's worth checking out, what would you what would you say? Mm. Probably most of my friends, I would say it's Bette Midler living her best life as <laughs> as a witch. Yeah. If I were like trying to talk to a kid about it that and the kids seemed interested in it, I would be like, it's three kids fighting off witches. And I don't know, because I do think there is something kind of empowering about this movie they're in danger a lot, but the kids do find ways to outsmart the witches. And I think that that can be kind of empowering to kids. Mm. Watching this again, what I, I, I loved the spookiness of it. Mm. I really did. I do think it's a very atmospheric movie. I think Kenny Ortega gets that exactly right. I don't know if I want to live in like a spooky town, but I would love to like go on a vacation to a spooky town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a talking cat. Yeah. Great decade for cute boys and talking cats. It really was. Sarah, what's your take? I love that they actually filmed this, at least partly in Salem. They like used the location, which they could have just been like, here we are in Pasadena. I mean, Salem, whatever. It's close enough. In that part of the 90s, it probably would have been Toronto. (laughs) Speaking of another great Toronto-made film where they were like, we're in Chicago. (laughs) Danny, played by Thora Birch in this movie, reminds me a lot of Sarah, played by Maya Bruton in Adventures in Babysitting, who I love. Mm, Yes, yes, absolutely. Who are both like wonderful little girl characters because they're written in a way where they're not just sort of like imperiled which I think in the worst of these movies, you know, they're just kind of like, I'm cute. I've read so many scripts throughout my life with children in them. Mm-hmm. My, my rule for writing children, I think, or whether it's like good with a, a good, a well-written child is, do you know where the child could have picked up that thing that they talk about? Yeah, that's a really good one. You know, the, the kind of like Juno thing where it's like, it's like, okay, some 16 year olds are into Iggy and the Stooges, but still, but there's also the don't ask me, I'm just a kid mm-hmm. Yeah, thing that really bothers me too. I hate when kids say like, I'm just a kid in a movie because kids don't like to do that because kids don't like to admit that they have no power. Right. Absolutely no. Not. When I was a kid, I would be like, listen, I am eight and three quarters and I have been paying attention. <laughs> Danny is pretty well written, I think. She is bratty sometimes, but she's also very sweet. 
but she is a kid. Yeah. She has kid wants. She just wants to go trick or treating. And she wants her brother to go as Peter Pan and Wendy next year with tights. With which, tights. Like, as a little kid myself, I was like, God, if I had a big brother, we would be doing that. If I could strong arm him somehow. Do we think Max is in the movie only to get boys at the movie? Allison and Danny are the heroes of the movie, like easily. They're the only people who do anything that's useful this whole time. Max's whole thing is he lights the candle, which is sort of a problem. And then. Yeah, Max is the conflict. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like he's not. Like, what's the point? This movie could have done just fine without Max. <laughs> no offense, Max. As a person, I, I hope everything's going well. But I, I wonder if he was just to get boys to show up to the movie. It, boys and probably preteen girls, too. Right. Yeah. 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 The cute young boys were kind of a that was a thing in the early 90s. They have one other one and then he dies in the first or becomes a cat in the first six minutes. So and the other one looks way more like Tiger Beat fodder than max does yeah the other one is like pretty in a way that is fascinating as like a little girl there was kind of the like oh do you like do you like thackeray pre-cat more or do you like max more (laughs) or do you like thackeray post cat more when he's less threatening because he's a cat yeah (laughs) exactly you can cuddle with them it's not weird and he has a completely different voice because the actor who played thackeray originally had a very modern voice Mm. and so they had to redub it with somebody who could do kind of a mid-atlantic accent oh wow so much work goes into this honestly still if i could have like a boyfriend who's a cat like most of the time yeah 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 (laughs) sounds kind of ideal We, in our last episode for the Lost Boys, we talked about the Corys. And as a result of talking about Hollywood stuff, we talked about Alex Winter's documentary that you were in. Oh, yeah. And I want everyone, I will make a plug for it again. Showbiz Kids is fucking great. I'm so glad that you were a part of that. It was great. Thank you. Yeah, Alex was great to work with. He was he was a sweetheart. And I'm so glad that I was a part of that. And it's funny because there were so many things that I revealed in that that I was like, oh, is that too revealing? And then two or three other actors would say the same thing. Yeah. And I was just like, wow. okay, yeah, we're all on the same page here. Yeah, mm. good. I want people to to definitely check that out. We know that Charlie Rocket, is Charlie Rocket the, Max's dad? Yeah. He goes to the grown-up party that no children are allowed to at City Hall, which is a weird phenomenon. <laughs> He's the dad, but who do we who do we believe is the daddy? I've been thinking very hard about this. Also, um, Madonna probably dated Dracula at some point. Let's be real. Or she would have, at least. Yeah, on her Eastern European tour. Definitely. Definitely. They had a fling. In some ways, it's Winnie, but I think it's Billy. Mm. Mm -hmm. How come? Billy is a good dad. Billy is a good dad. Billy is the only adult who cares for them, and he is undead. He literally carries Danny. He's very sweet with Danny. You could definitely argue, and I feel like Sarah is probably going to argue, that Allison is. Mm. but he's kind of what an adult should be. He's mostly silent. He doesn't like, you know, want to hear himself talk the way that Winnie does. Winnie is forced to be the daddy, but I don't know if she really wants to be. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to say Billy. Hmm. Even if he does have his his fingers run over at one point, which still makes me laugh. And the fact that it's his middle finger is the only one that stays up. I'm like, I see you, Kenny Ortega. Oh my God, that's great. <laughs> Absolutely logical reasons billy is billy is the dad he's great he's the only again as you said he's the only adult that takes care of the kids i just want to say that sarah jessica parker's character of being a (laughs) thirsty atom bomb this entire movie she is the daddy (laughs) also another line i think maybe that kathy mcjimmy says this but when they get a clark bar I think she says, "'Tis the chocolate-covered finger of a man named Clark." 
my follow-up would be um uh gary marshall oh yeah because he's the yeah. <laughs> he the that happens to us a lot on this show yeah yes, um, it does. i think it's kenny ortega because he uh-huh. directed newsies which made no money and then disney i guess was like okay what else do you have and he was like well you can do another <laughs> and he like kept his career going and then eventually made everyone eight billion dollars with the high school musicals and they just had to keep believing in him and the kenny ortega magic and i always believed (laughs) kenny ortega for the win mara is there anything you want people to check out of yours out in the world i have a newsletter at mara.substack.com um and uh Sometimes I do a fun thing on there where I talk about things that used to scare me as a child and whether or not they're still scary. (laughs) And I kind of did that today. Yeah, I talked about ALF, I think, last time. and uh, I love the ALF one a lot. I'm really glad you like it. Yeah, Yeah, I I think I need to. At some point, I'm going to tackle Mac tonight. Good, good, good. Probably probably Ghostbusters, too. (laughs) And I also come up with names for fake British TV shows. Oh, Oh, God, that sounds amazing. What's an example of one? Uh, Well, well, the the newsletter is called Shack We Tell the Vicar. (laughs) Probably my favorite is celebrities shouldn't be running a surgery. All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Happy Halloween out there. We want to thank, of course, Mara Wilson for being uh, on this episode. We are grateful to you, Mara. Thank you. We want to thank Carolyn Kendrick, who produced this episode. As you may or may not know, Carolyn records songs that accompany some of the episodes we put out with You Are Good. And there's an album that we put out called The Music of You Are Good, Volume 1. It's been out on Bandcamp all this month. You can still buy it there to support that effort uh, if you are so inclined. Hopefully you are so inclined. You can find it linked at carolynkendrick.com or you can search for it on Bandcamp. Some information about that though, it is coming out on streaming services starting on Halloween. It's our Halloween gift to you. You can get this album on streaming. The music of You Are Good Volume 1. Thanks so much to Fresh Lesh for the beats. Happy Halloween, Lesh. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash youaregood. You can get bonus episodes as we were saying up front. You can find us on social media, Instagram and Twitter, primarily at You Are Good Pod. I think that's it for this week's episode. That's it. That's all we have to say. Oh, that's not entirely true. Next week. So our theme for November is makeshift families. And I think that we're doing that subconsciously to honor Thanksgiving in one way or another. But our theme for November is makeshift families. This, you are good. This is a makeshift family, is it not? So the first movie that we are covering in our makeshift families month is Jurassic Park and we're doing it with our friend Candace Jane Opper who we adore so look out for that watch Jurassic Park in the meantime and uh, we look forward to talking with you then thanks so much everybody again happy Halloween